Good morning. It's good to see everybody out this morning. Beautiful Father's Day. If you're a dad, uh, we appreciate your being here, especially because we realize the responsibilities that dads have in the home. I read a statistic this past week that said uh, 18.5 million children grow up without their fathers. Now, some of that, I'm sure, comes from uh, broken homes, uh, fathers who have abandoned their children, uh, unwed uh, parents, and then uh, also death, I'm sure, has taken the fathers out of some homes. But I also read that 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And that 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and re uh, alcohol treatment centers originated from homes without fathers. I listened to Bill Bennett, who was a Secretary of Treasury uh, at one point, and he was talking about fathers, and he talked about the the shootings that are taking place uh, where you know mass shootings have, have happened and sometimes it's young people that have done those things and he pointed out that 90% of those 95% I believe it was come from broken homes and so when we talk about the home and we sometimes say that fathers aren't necessary and we see that many times in society that they accept that and try to push the father away and, and remove him out of the home we realize but that's not part of God's plan. God intended for fathers to be a very important part of a child's uh, uh, being brought up in, in life and to be successful and, and productive. And so God realizes what a home needs. Dr. James Dobson uh, told the story that when he was three years old, that he said he lived in a one-room house, one-room bedroom apartment, and his little bed was located next to his parents' bed. And his dad said that it was not uncommon that during the night that the child, that he would wake him and hear a little voice whispering, Daddy, Daddy. And then I, he would reply, hold my hand. My dad would reach across the darkness and grope for his little hand, finally engulfing it in his. And said the instant he, that he encompassed his hand, his arm would go limp, his breathing was deep and regular, and he had gone back to sleep. All he needed to know was that his dad was there. It's an honor to be a father. And in a, in a society that we see where dads are many times made fun of, but yet God says that they're important. We can look at all the things that we can see that a father does. The father protects his daughters from abuse, protects his sons from violence, protects his wives from awful things that could happen, protects the neighborhood from intrusion and disorder. The fathers are the primary providers. Although we know many mothers work, Still, the father provides the most. Sons learn male responsibility from their fathers. They learn how to be, how to achieve, and suitable assertiveness. They learn independence best from their fathers. When daughters enjoy their father, 
she experiences a healthier femininity and she will feel worthy of love. And she's able to trust, daughters who are able to trust men normally grow and marry trustworthy men. Fathers also provide stimulating and exciting rough and tumble play within limits. Children learn that biting and kicking and other forms of physical violence are not accepted during those rumble and tumble playtimes. And they also learn that when enough is enough, it's time to stop. A study among Texas prisoners showed that 90% of inmates did not play as a child with their dads, or they played abnormally. And that the majority of prisoners also had little relationships with their fathers. Fathers stress the survivor skills in, of competition, challenge, initiative, risk-taking, and independence. In contrast, mothers emphasize social integration, relationships, and personal well-being. Fathers focus on their children's long-term development while mothers focus on the immediate situations. Fathers stress justice, fairness, and duty based upon rules. Mothers stress sympathy, care, and helping based upon relationships. Children learn the healthy use of power from father and love from mother. Researchers Wesley and Epstein in 1977 those things about parenting. I think that we see that fathers are needed. Fathers are very important to the family. But does that mean that a father is always going to do the right thing? I think all of us that are dads realize that we're not always going to do the right things and sometimes we make mistakes. And I guess you might say that when there, a situation arises that we have to deal with, we have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. So fathers will fail, but more often, we, may, we, we don't care to admit it, but what we need to understand, we make mistakes. We fall short, and we'll often wonder if those mistakes that we make, what impact it is going to have on our families. But that's part of being a dad. We learn from our mistakes. I remember years ago, someone called and they wanted to quit doing something in, in the church because they had made a mistake. And I said, you have children, don't you? Yes. Have you ever made a mistake when it comes to telling your children what to do, giving them advice? Oh, yeah. So did you quit being a dad? Well, no. Then why quit doing what you're doing now in the church? We make mistakes as dads. Sometimes we give poor advice. I remember, I've probably told this story before, when Elizabeth was in daycare at one point. There was a kid that was spitting on her all the time. She'd come home mad every day. This kid spit on her. I said, well, the next time he does it, you just haul off and you deck him. <laughs> went, in to child, or went in to pick her up one day. And she said something, or something had happened. We got home, and she said, well, I was in the timeout chair. And I said, what? Well, I'd always told her, if I find out you're in the timeout chair, you're in trouble. 
Well, I, 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 I only did what you told me to do. Well, I talked to the instructor there, and she said, yeah, she did what needed to be done. He never spit on her again. But I always wondered, is that the best advice? Was that the best thing to say? What effect did that have? Well, she's still here. <laughs> but we have read Luke chapter 15. A few verses in that story, and we read there that, that, that there's the best father possible that you could ever see. Because you see, I wanted to talk about a faithful father. And I could look in the Old Testament at different individuals that were fathers, and sometimes they made mistakes. And you can look in the New Testament and you can see other people that were fathers. They weren't always perfect either. And I look at my own life, and I'm not perfect. And when we talk about a faithful father, certainly it's not me. And certainly it's no one else in this audience today. Why? Because there's only one faithful father. And that's God Himself. And so we, we need to remember what He tells us and how we need to live. And it will help us because we can look at this situation, this story that we're dealing with here in the prodigal son when he left home. And we can see how he answered and what he did in those situations. And it kind of reminds me of a story, uh, you know, when you have a rebellious child. It, it, it reminds me of a story of a couple who had a son who was always in trouble. He was in trouble at school. He was in trouble in the neighborhood. He was in trouble at home. And then one time, at one point, the, the couple had an opportunity to go on a vacation. And so they went on a vacation to Europe. And they left the son back at home with the relatives. And when they went to Greece, they went to a place where there was a cliff. And they, they were told that at that particular place, that that's where parents or mothers would throw their defective children over the age. And so they sent their son a postcard, and it said, Today, on our tour, we came to a cliff over which Greek women were said to have once thrown their defective children. P.S. We wish you were here. <laughs> the story that we read in Luke chapter 15 is often called the story of the prodigal son. But as much as Luke chapter 15 is indeed the story of a son who returns to his father, it's also about a faithful father and the methods that he uses in dealing with his son. You see, this isn't a story of a father who failed, but rather the story of a father who did what needed to be done to keep his home from being overcome by worldliness and rebellion that had warped the son's personality. You see, when the son that was at home was affected by resentment, and we can see that in the other son as well. We can see rebellion, we can see rudeness, we can see rejection. We see all of those things in this home. And may I remind you that God was the perfect father because the father in this story represents our, our, our heavenly father. And yet the father... Ultimately, when the son leaves, gets his son back. But not as the son who ran away. And not as a rebellious boy who was resentful. But rather, his son came back to him as one who would bring him honor and pride. So the question I want to ask this morning is, why was his father successful? And I believe that the answer begins with, this father was a righteous man. And he was a good man, and he set a good example for his children. 
In Luke chapter 15 and verse 17, it says, And when he, the prodigal son, came to himself, he said, How many higher servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. When you think of that passage of Scripture, it tells us something about the dad. It tells us something about that father that he had while he was in that foreign place. He realized what his father was. His father was fair. His father was decent. He was decent to others. He looked out for the needs of others. He provided for those. He made sure that they had enough food and, 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 and were well taken care of. And he was concerned about others and he had a good reputation with others around him. And thus the boy reasoned his dad wouldn't even turn away his son when he came back. And though the son did not deserve it, he knew that his father was an honest, a fair, and a decent person. And that he cared not only for his servants, but he cared for his children. And he cared, cared for others. You see, the example a father has on his child can make all the difference in how that child grows up. John Wanoker, in a book titled Fathers, had interviewed different celebrities talking to them about their relationship with their father. For example, he quotes broadcaster Ted Turner who shares a memorable story of his dad. And Ted Turner says that he, he got a job when he was young and he was making $50 a week. And his father was char or charged him $25 a week out of that $50. And Ted thought that that was an awful lot. And he said that to his dad and his father said, I think $25 is good considering you live here seven days a week and you eat our food and you enjoy our place. If you don't like it, you can move out. You can find somewhere else to live. Now what kind of man did Ted Turner grow up to be? He's difficult. He's hard. He doesn't play well with others. Seemingly the focus of his life is money and power. So he learned his lessons well from his father. But then there's another man, Chichi Rodriguez, you might remember him, golfer. He was in the book also. And this is a story that he relates because he had a great reputation, Chichi did. And the memory of his father is this. He said one night, at about two in the morning, my father caught a man stealing bananas from our backyard. He went over to the man with the machete, took the bananas, cut a bunch in half, and said, here, you can have it. And then he said, from now on, if you need anything from the back of our house, you come to the front. Now, what kind of example do you think that was for Mr. Rodriguez? Parents, we have a responsibility and we need to set the right example. And we see, I believe, that this father set the right example for his sons in our story of Luke, the 15th chapter. So first of all, this faithful father set a good example for his sons. But then second, 
he set down some rules that he expected to be followed. He expected his children to listen to those things. Now, I'm sure that this young man is like all, every other young man and every young lady. Sometimes the rules at home are just unbearable. They don't even make sense to us. But yet they're there for a reason. And I'm not sure what the prodigal son didn't like about living under his dad's roof, but I'm convinced it included the fact that he couldn't live the way he wanted to live. And he couldn't do the things that he wanted to do. And that's obvious because when he got his inheritance, he went off and wasted it on riotous living, as it says in the King James Version. So he was doing things that he shouldn't have been doing, and he wasted his money on those things. Things that he couldn't do at home. So the boy demanded his inheritance, and he announced that he was leaving. Maybe like some. I can't wait till I'm 18 and I'm out of here. You give me my money, Dad, and I'm gone. And so he demanded his inheritance and announced that he was leaving home. Why didn't the dad say, Son, I'm sorry. I offended you with my rules. Let's talk about it. Maybe we can work out something. Maybe we can let it slide a little bit or here and there and you'll be happy. Just agree to stay and I'll let you do whatever you want. Why didn't he say those kind of things? He didn't say those things because his objective was not to keep his son at home at whatever cost it may be. He didn't want his boy to grow up to be rude and rebellious and resentful. And so he refused to give in to his son's desires. Now he could have brought peace at a cost of giving in to his son. But a good father realizes that God holds us accountable for the influence that we allow into the home. As parents, we do our children no favors by allowing rebelliousness just to make them happy. The father in Luke, the 15th chapter, has set down some rules because he loved his son because he knew of the judgment of God and that judgment on a rebellious son was not going to be good and so this father sets a good example for his son and this father is willing to set rules that he's going to stand by and then he does the oddest thing He lets the boy leave home and doesn't try to stop him. Do you think that father had any inkling about what that son was going to run off and do? Why didn't he try to stop him? Because he put his faith in God. Remember, this dad is rich. He's got plenty of servants. He probably knows where his son is, where he went. I'm sure that he can afford to pay someone to follow or go look for him.
But he doesn't visit his son, even if he knows where he's at. And by indications, the older brother knew something about where he was at. But he doesn't send, his, send money to his son either. He could simply help him to get by in life. He just let him go. There are many times in life that we become enablers. When we know someone shouldn't be doing something, we go ahead and we allow or we compromise or we give in. That allows them to continue doing the destructive behavior that they're involved with. And this faithful father in this story refused to become an enabler for his son's sinfulness. So what's his father do? He waits. And he waits. And he waits. And he watches. He's always looking down the road in hopeful expectation of his son's return. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. It says, And when he was yet a great ways off, his father saw him had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. How could this father possibly have stood by so calmly when his son was in that situation? Why didn't he rush off to the city where that boy was and plead with him to return? Why didn't he hire someone to go and kidnap him and bring him back home? Because the Father trusted God. When we don't place our trust in God, we can end up doing some things that we later regret. We need to trust God when it comes to forgiveness. You know, sometimes we look in the Bible and we see scriptures that talk about forgiving each other and we say, well, that, you don't know what that person did. Or we look at the Bible and it tells us that we need to help an individual and we look at it, well, look at the situation that they put themselves into. And we just don't trust God. David, or David, we know, trusted God. And we can read in the Psalms that many times when he didn't know where to turn, when he didn't know what to do, what the next step would be, where to go, what to do, he trusted God. And that's what we need to do in all of our situations in life is trust God. He knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. He knows what is right and He knows what's best. And this father trusted God. You may say, well, He is God. Well, yeah, He is God. But in this story, it's the picture that Jesus wants us to see. Paul said, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, verse 12. Paul knew that he could trust God. He put his soul in God's hands. As Christians, we put our souls in God's hands and we have plead with him and we love him and we care for him and we tell him our problems and we, he takes care of us. He helps us. Talk about the peace that passes all understanding. You'll never have that peace if you don't put your trust in God. 
There's a lot of Christians that say, oh, I trust God, but their actions show something contrary. The question is, do you really trust God? Do you really trust Him with your soul and the souls of your family? That you're going to teach them and bring up your children in the ways of the Lord as we're told in Ephesians chapter 6. When we're told, Father, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. What kind of example are you as a father? Are you being what you should be? Do they see your faith in your life? I hope so. And yes, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes our faith may falter. Sometimes we may doubt. But what, what happens in the end? Do we come back? Are we stronger? Or do we turn away from God? The sad reality is, I've heard children that say, you don't know what goes on at my house. As Christians, we're not just Christians here. We're Christians at home, in our relationships with each other, and we're supposed to be trusting in God. Paul realized that he had learned from experience that he, tr he could trust God. I've visited people who became angry at God or became angry at the church. And I asked them, what did God do? Has Jesus ever done something that's hurt you? Well, well no. Has God ever done anything that's hurt you? Well, well, no. Then why are you mad at Him? Why are you taking it out on Him? Steve that reminded me of the individual that I talked about before that said that he's going to punch God in the nose someday. We're not going to do anything. When we read in the Bible where people come in the presence of God, they tremble. They fall to the ground. On the day of judgment, most of us will probably be falling to the ground. Because it will be something awesome to see our God. Paul was convinced that God was able to keep, to guard, to protect everything that God, that Paul was willing to put into God's care. That we trust God. Another way of saying is, saying it is, is like this, let go and let God. You see, a good dad learns that this is the best policy. It's not the easiest policy, but it's the best and most effective. You see, being a good dad is not easy, but we need to be a good example. Our children need to see our faith in God. That is not something that we just talk about. But they need to see us living it in our lives. And I hope you have a dad and a mom that you can see their faith in the life that they live. That they put their trust in God. And they want to encourage you to follow their example. And a good dad is going to set rules. Well, you may not understand them as a, as a child. 
You may think that they're unreasonable because everybody out there in the world, they come in late, they do whatever they want, they say they do, and eat and drink and do whatever. And you can't. Because your dad is just a dud. Someday you'll thank him for those rules. You may not verbally say it, but just look in the mirror and smile when you think of me telling you that. Because we realize that rules are there for a reason. And then put your faith and trust in God. His word is faithful. His word is, is reliable. His word is truth. We live in a world that's just totally messed up. They don't know what men and women are. They don't know what's, according to God's will, should be in a marriage. They think dads aren't needed. Dads are needed. Set the right example. Set the rules. And put your faith in God. As I said, a good dad learns but that's the best policy of letting go and letting God take care of it. Yes, we get involved. Yes, we are involved with our children. But they need to see those things in our lives. And like I said, being a good dad isn't easy. None of us are without sin. And yes, we have faults in our lives. That's part of the learning process. Because you see, we're all learning. But with God's help, we can always improve. The father in the, in the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son gives us an example of the kind of dads that we should be. If we're going to be successful, we need to be, learn to be like that father, our heavenly father. And then we will be successful. In that story, we see that when that son returns, that father ran, he was looking for him, he ran, fell on his neck, and he kissed him. That's the picture that we see that when we've gone astray from God, that he wants us to come back. And someone who's never obeyed the gospel, someone who's never become a Christian based upon what the Bible teaches, then the Lord stands ready and he's watching and he's waiting for you to respond. Because He wants you to be saved. And then there are some who've wandered back into the world, started living by that standard again, trusting what they say out there as opposed to what God says in His Word. And the Lord wants you to come back too. And He's waiting. And when you do, the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven rejoice. And so when one becomes a child of God, they're singing, they're rejoicing in heaven. When someone that's gone astray comes back, think of the rejoicing that takes place there. Are you a faithful father? Are you what God wants you to be? If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. Stand and sit.